Welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. It's right around the time to be planting cover crops for late season grazing, and Doug Boss and Kent Solberg are back to discuss the biological benefits of grazing complex cover crops. Both Kent and Doug have years of experience of raising livestock and managing pastures on their own farms, and they will walk us through how to design a seed mix that's right for the context of your land. All right, so today we're talking about designing cover crops for late season grazing. And Kent, I think I'll let you just jump in with some foundational ideas here. Sure. Hi again, Katie. Good to be back. Um, the first thing is defining what are we after here? What are our goals? Why do we want to use these cover crops? And, and, and we can accomplish multiple goals on a particular piece of ground. A lot of people, based on the, the title here, designing cover crops for great season, late season grazing, excellent goal, great way to stretch out the grazing season to build a forage chain. Uh, to reduce your overall feed cost for the winter, to get some manure spread out there. Um, but we can also use it to set the stage for something like going in with no-till corn the next year. Or we can set the stage to convert from a field that's maybe been for years in annual row crops, but we're looking at turning this into uh, perennial pasture or hay ground. Uh, we can use it to boost soil biology. You know, we can accomplish all these things uh, with something like this. So uh, we have to look at the context of what's going on in the field. What are our goals for that field? And, and what resources do we have available to make this all happen? Absolutely. You know, Kent, that can sound really complex and really complicated. And so, you know, when we're thinking about how do we approach this idea and defining why we want to implement some of these practices, I think it's really important to understand the context. I mean, where are we at today? What do we have to work with? And why are we trying to do what we're doing? And is it going to help us achieve our goals? And this, of course, varies so much between operation to operation. And, uh, you know, taking into consideration and environmental impacts as far as the season, rainfall, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we've had, you know, some challenges and, and extremes the last couple of years that have, you know, that would greatly affect our ability to accomplish and be successful at some of these efforts. And so these things change throughout the season too, with timing, with resources available for labor, um, you know, financial availability as far as uh, what we're able to invest and how much risk we're able to take on some of these uh, applications, some of these seedings, and even between, you know, the different seed selections that we may have to use. But really making sure that you know we do a comprehensive job of of really evaluating what we're looking at doing why we're looking at doing it and uh you know making the best use of our tools can really help us uh keep us from going down a lot of rabbit trails really and uh, learning from other producers as well in our area that might be implementing some of the practices we're looking to do can help us uh, save save some money and and some hardships. Even though a lot of the uh, lessons we learned are sometimes personal experiences, we can we can reduce that to some degree. And I think that's a wise move. So, uh, you know, it's it's just always interesting to look at how things can change so much. Even in a week's period of time, we can have really good plans set up, and things things can change. And having even a, a plan B in some situations or you know adaptability in every circumstance is very important to ensure the best chance of success. So maybe we can start with some of those goals that you have for your land. When you're designing those cover crops, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, so 
one of the things is just simply um, building a longer forage chain to keep those animals out grazing as long as possible. Because in and out, day to day, year to year, we find that anytime we're feeding stored feed that's mechanically harvested, hauled to the animals, manure hauled out, that's our most expensive way to feed animals. And in Minnesota, you know, we get five, sometimes six months of winter, and, and that can be an, a, a necessary tool. But we do have producers now in Minnesota that are routinely um, grazing complex cover crops into January, February. I know one producer down in Renville County who grazed into March this year. Um, that has huge implications for the bottom line on that operation. So that, that's huge. The other thing is just setting the stage for your future cropping system. Maybe you just want to build more diversity. You know, we talk about diversity being one of the key uh, principles of soil health, and that's super important for soil biology. If we've been in a long-term corn and bean rotation, uh, taking a year and doing complex cover crops and running livestock across it, even if we don't own them, we can, we can have a rent-a-cow deal or whatever. Uh, come in. There's opportunities there too. Um, can be huge for building soil biology. Maybe you've been struggling with uh, water drainage issues on that field for the last few years. Something like this can turn it around. One of the nicknames for complex cover crops uh, that are grazed by livestock is, is biological primers. In other words, we're priming that biological pump or that biological system, if you will, uh, with the diversity, with keeping the ground covered, with keeping a living root in the system longer than we would in our normal cash crop situation and creating an opportunity to run livestock across it. Um, the data showing that, that that can be a huge boost to the biology in the soil. Uh, and then specifically, what you know, are, are we dealing with a drainage issue? Are we dealing with a, uh, an erosion issue? Are we, do we just want the fertility out there? We can also use um, by, uh, complex covers as a way to set the stage uh, for going in and no-tilling something like horn the next year by taking only about a third of that above ground biomass, but through high stock density grazing, we can trample a lot of that uh, biomass out there, creating a mulch or a mat, if you will, that can be no-tilled into with corn the subsequent year. Uh, that can dramatically reduce fertilizer inputs. It can dramatically reduce herbicide and insecticide inputs uh, on that field, even fungicide uh, expenses on that field. Um, we've got case study after case study where this has worked extremely well. There's some tricks to making it work, but a key part of setting the stage is complex covers that are grazed late in the year by livestock with a high degree of that biomass being trampled. So think about what you want to do out there. Um, we also have to think about, you know, what's been going on out there in the past as we design these things. And, and I think we're going to talk more about that in a minute, so I won't get too far ahead of our conversation here. I think it's great, Kent. And I think, you know, it's important to keep in mind some of the big picture stuff like, you know, the ability of any operation to cycle carbon effectively can really be an indicator of, of the management on that farm. And so anytime we're looking at integrating livestock in any way, it gives us an opportunity to help uh, really stimulate that. And so, you know, large amounts of carbon, whether it be from, you know, cereal production or, or uh, row crop production and, and providing the diversity and that getting that element in there and just looking at that ecosystem and how you can use the tools that you have availability through, you know, grazing livestock on this land at various times of the year could really, you know, take the operation to another level, certainly when you're looking at growing 
and um, you know, looking at diversity and that cycling carbon constantly and evaluating that uh, with you know your goals in mind, I think is really important when you're looking at uh, you know improving management over time. So then, also, what kinds of things do we need to consider when designing that cover crop mix in terms of animal performance? Yeah, we need to think about, you know, our, our soil type that's going to determine what we're going to grow. We need to think about the classification of livestock we want to run out there. Are these are going to be cows with fall calves at side? Are these going to be ewes? Are they going to be dry ewes, dry cows? Are these going to be dairy replacement heifers? Um, what are we feeding? Um, Diversity is key, probably the biggest thing out there. We want to at least uh, we like to see at least three examples of each of the plant functional groups. So three grasses, three forbs or broadleaves, and three legumes out there is typically what we shoot for to be considered a diverse crop. Um, what we select within that is going to depend on what time of year we plant it. When we plan to graze it, are we going to graze it early in the fall? Do we want it to be able to stand up over winter? Uh, we need to think about soil type out there and what type of equipment we have uh, in order to do the seeding. Um, some of these seeds work better than other types of equipment than others. So those are all excellent considerations. Um, I'd talk to people who are doing it, what's working for them, are they sharing a similar soil type? Uh, you, can, you can call SFA and one of us can help you uh, design uh, these mixes, you can contact NRCS, some soil and water district offices, uh, and some of the seed companies have gotten pretty good uh, at helping people with this. Um, so check around, talk to some people, uh, think about all those things as you're designing your mix. And Kent, this is probably a good time to address the issue of history on the piece of property that you're looking to do that seeding on. Uh, a lot of times, uh, very important. Yeah, I think a lot of times we forget that the history really has an impact it, when you're talking about herbicides used and restrictions of those herbicides. Um, well, any synthetics really, um, when we're looking at a, a, a specific situation. And, you know, um, these types of things should be taken seriously. And, uh, you know, negative results can happen if we don't. Uh, since some situations we're going to find that we have uh, severe limitations on our ability to diversify that uh, seed mix that we're looking to plant for the for the livestock and we could be investing a lot of money in a seed and um, you know operations that aren't going to yield much because of those conditions and so the emphasis can't be hardly overstated that we need to consider all the history and that has to go back more than a year. Uh, this can be this could be two, three, maybe even four years. Uh, we've had personal experiences on our own farm when we've taken over some rented land. And uh, even under the advice of, of an agronomy department did we find that we had setbacks uh, a year after withdrawal periods uh, from that application had been experienced. And so um, it's just very important to read the labels. The label is the law. And, um, you know, to, to underscore that could negatively affect not only the production of the crop on that field, but also it has a negative, uh, you know, ability to affect your livestock as well. Yeah, and not just herbicides. Uh, we've even seen some carryover issues with some of the fungicides also. So get, get that uh, synthetic history out there, like Doug says. Uh, go back and check those labels at least three growing seasons. Um, maybe even longer if it's been dry uh, for, a for a period. Uh, 
double, triple check those labels. Um, we've had to, you know, with, with the struggles a lot of producers are having with herbicide resistant weeds, we're going to more tank mixes, more multiple applications. Um, you literally need to design a matrix uh, for yourself to assess uh, this with you. So if you're totally lost, get some help, uh, professional help with this to help sort through that. But we need, like Doug said, we need that uh, uh, pesticide history in order to design these things first and foremost. And, and it can be quite restrictive. Um, there's been a lot of frustration uh, as this, this winter, we spent a lot of time working with producers who really struggled with, as they picked up new land, as they picked up rented land, very eager to move forward with stimulating soil biology and creating this grazing or this forage chain for their livestock. But the herbicide history, they kept bumping up against time and time again. Oftentimes we can find some things to do. It may not be ideal. It can move us further down the calendar and further away from some of these um, restrictions that are out there. Uh, it's not ideal, but uh, we can do our best uh, to move this forward, start building some diversity into the system. And uh, as we get beyond some of those dates, uh, we can really up the volume on building diversity uh, into some of these mixes. Yeah, so as, as producers are looking at taking out a new piece of property and they're looking at it from that perspective, um, you know, make an attempt to get that information right up front whenever possible. And uh, getting accurate information is very key. So to add maybe another point of consideration into the mix, um, I'm curious if your design is going to vary then with the type of livestock that you're grazing. A little bit, um, a little bit. I think mostly when you're going to be grazing it, if, if, if you want something uh, that's going to stand uh, with the snow, um, that's probably a bigger concern um, than, the, than the type. If we have that diversity out there and we've got three examples of grasses, three examples of broadleaves, three examples of um, uh, legumes out there, um, and, and we're not requiring the animals to take it all. And we don't want to do that. We, we probably don't want to take, we, we don't want to take more than half. And in some situations, we only want to take 30 or 40% of the above ground biomass out there. Um, when we have that diversity out there and don't require them, um, that's, that's adaptable to a wide array of ruminants, um, particularly for late season. Uh, grazing out there. Now, I'm not talking about grazing chickens, you know, out there late season or something like that. That would be a whole different ballgame. Most of the people are going to be doing this uh, with ruminants because that's where this works the best and really shines. Um, having some of those warm season grasses out there, uh, corn, sorghum Sudan, the millets, uh, Sudan grass, those can stay upright even with some snow on it. Uh, and the animals will follow that down as they graze to some of the more succulent things uh, that have much more cold tolerance with it down below. And by not requiring the animals to take um, more than half of what's out there, those animals will self-regulate, if you will, or self-adjust to get what they need to meet their needs. Yeah, certainly considering that, you know, the mix too, when we're looking at how much of each of those three categories to, like Kent said, when we're going to be grazing that because some of those species are going to, at least in our environment in Minnesota here, once, once frost hits, uh, changes occur. And so we want certainly enough buffer in our diversity and making sure we're, we're looking at proper quantities of each of those seeds uh, to accommodate those animals needs to provide them the opportunity to adjust for 
uh, changes in that forage as the season progresses is important. At what point should you be planting by for this late season mix? Again, it depends on what are your goals for that site. What other goals are you trying to address in addition um, and what's there beforehand? For example, um, we have a number of producers who will use uh, cover crops and late season grazing as a way to renovate, for example, hay ground or, or even pasture. And so they'll take a first crop hay or first grazing off in early June, terminate that and come in and plant. And if if we're really thinking about building soil biology, we want those warm season plants out there as long as possible during the, the peak daylight hours we see in early to midsummer. And so a planting somewhere between June 15th and around the 5th to the 10th of July, we can really maximize that. These, these warm season grasses in particular, these C4 grasses like sorghum, sorghum Sudan, the millets, um, they can pump a lot of carbon in the ground uh, through that uh, liquid carbon pathway, that photosynthetic pathway that's there. And we want to take advantage of that uh, in, in order to really boost that soil biology. Um, if, if we're doing something different, like we're just looking at some late season grazing for something that's going to follow, say, field peas, a canning crop, uh, a small grain, um, and, and taken for grain, um, it's going to be different because now we're getting into August, maybe even late August. Uh, a lot of those warm season grasses don't work really well then. So then we're looking at uh, another um, array of uh, cool season grass, some cool season legumes, some cool season broadleaves that will grow into the fall. Again, we're looking to try and produce a lot of biomass, not only to feed our livestock, but also to feed the biology. And we want this diverse array of solar panels, if you will, out there capturing as much sunlight as possible and putting it in the ground. A different twist on that could be um, uh, planting a cool season cereal or even taking off a cool a biennial like triticale or cereal rye uh, as a forage crop, taking these off as forage crops uh, in, in early June. And again, now we're, we've got a very broad window of the growing season left for these warm seasons um, to come in and we would match the, the species according to the season as well as the soil type and all these other things that we're trying to do. Um, but we can really create a lot of diversity in those scenarios. We can really stimulate a lot of biology and uh, all these can create different levels of late season grazing. Um, cereals like oats, uh, uh, triticale, even annual, even some of the grasses like an Italian ryegrass planted after um, early August. Those aren't going to have real stiff stems. They're not going to hold up during uh, a heavy snowfall event. We're going to want to graze those earlier before we move to something with a stiffer stem, like a more mature sorghum Sudan grass or a pearl millet or something like that. And so how we graze these things, when we plant those things are all important uh, to think through as we're designing our plan. I think that's great, Kent. And you know, and if I'm a producer and I've got a, a field that, for example, if I've taken a small grain crop off of and and uh, I just haven't had a chance if it's been too dry or too wet or whatever the situation, and now I'm getting later in the season that I plan to for planting, um, I guess our kind of test is, is if we feel we have 30 to 40 days before a, a frost, um, we would encourage the plant of something. Uh, it may be, uh, you know, affected by the conditions, but if you have any growing season left at all, 
um, take advantage of it. You know, keep that living root in the soil as much as possible. Even if you effectively change the amounts of different seeds that you have in your mix to accommodate for that, uh, to have, again, still as diverse a mix as you can within your uh, situation is really gonna help long-term a lot. Even if you don't necessarily see tremendous production on, on everything that you plant, just having that, that seed down there and, and having it sprouted is gonna facilitate positive change towards encouraging that ecosystem to function properly. And we can take advantage also of, you know, the combines have gotten so much more efficient as being harvesters. There's not a lot of grain anymore that goes out the back end, but there is some, and we can take advantage of that in designing our mix. So let's say you've got an oat or a spring wheat or a barley or whatever crop that you're taking off, um, I, I credit, I often will credit uh, the grain that comes out the back end of that combine as part of the mix. And, and that can be huge. And so we can build on that. We can help keep our overall seed costs down in the process. Uh, if we get timely moisture uh, in late August, early September, um, that can create a lot of growth uh, in, a, in a good year. And so um, we can build around that volunteer seed coming out the back end of the combine, if you will, uh, to build our mixes. So lots of points of consideration here. Uh, where would you like to point people next to get started? So a tool I've found very, very valuable, Katie, is a, a company called Green Cover Seed has an online um, tool or calculator, if you will, for designing complex cover crop uh, mixes. It's called the Smart Mix Calculator. It's free to use. You have to log in, form an account. It's not a big deal. Um, it asks you a series of questions, and then it will give you some suggestions um, on a ranked suggestions, starting from excellent to good to fair to poor. Uh, and, you know, more often than not, if you go on there, if you pick the three grasses, three legumes, three broadleaves on the top of their list, you're going to be pretty close to doing a really good job. Now, there's some regional uh, and, and individual farm type variations we've seen out there. Um, you can certainly contact somebody like Doug or myself or Jared at SFA and get some help with uh, designing those. Or if you got specific questions, talk to other growers in your area. What have they used on similar soil types? Think about how you're going to seed it. Also think about what you're going to be doing for a crop out there next year. Uh, do you need something out there that's going to all terminate from winter kill? Uh, or are you willing with your herbicide program, can you take care of anything that goes through the winter with that? Um, or, or are you planning to you know, do something else? Think about your termination procedures. Think about how you need this to terminate. You know, the beauty of living in Minnesota is we 99.9% um, .9 of the time do get winter. And uh, that's a great tool for terminating cover crops. And, and a lot of this stuff will terminate. Uh, Green Cover Seed has a lot of resources on their webpage. You can go back and look at the seeds, and it has advantages and disadvantages, things you can use. Uh, the Midwest Cover Crop Council is like a huge online encyclopedia of cover crops. You can go in there and look at things. Uh, what winter kill, how to terminate stuff, the advantages and disadvantages of different seeds, seed sizes, seeding rates, and so on. Um, you can learn a lot, but just reach out, talk to people, try some things, talk to some folks, ask some, ask lots of questions, and you can move forward with this. 
Absolutely, Kent. You know, and cover crops are, are a common conversation now against, you know, with people that are looking to make improvements in the resources and enhance livestock performance. And uh, a lot of people, it's still, it's still fairly new. And so I guess I just, uh, you know, add that there's a lot of good information out there and uh, people that are willing to share ideas and uh, encourage others to take those first steps or, or refine their operation or improve it. And, uh, you know, just encourage people to have those conversations, search out those resources. Uh, there's likely a lot more available than one would originally think when first looking at in, you know, incorporating this into their farm. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe agriculture done well heals. For more resources and to tap into the farmer to farmer network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.